Hey guys, Brandon here. We'll get you to the show in just a second. And if you want to listen to that 90s baseball pod early and ad-free, make sure to sign up at patreon.com slash that 90s baseball pod. Subscribers at any level get the show as soon as it's created, early and ad-free. Now, for our sponsors, we have eParade, which is reasonably priced, trendy kitchenware. That's E-P-A-R-E dot com. Promo code 10T90BP10. So that 90s baseball pod, T90BP, with 10 on either side. Symbol.app, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot app, is the stock market for sports. If you use the promo code Bender, you get a free week of Symbol Gold. Hinterland Coffee in Minnesota is a freshly roasted coffee experience every single week. Monthly subscriptions get 10% off. Go to hinterlandmn.com. Three-star sports cards, you can find them online or in person in Bloomington on Lindale Avenue or in Little Canada on Rice Street or threestarsportscards.com. And finally, Humility Chains. Royce Lewis's mom, Cindy, makes stylish, affordable chains and necklaces and bracelets that go, uh, the proceeds go directly to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer. So a portion, again, of those proceeds go to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer cancer more than 20 styles of chains and bracelets are available they're affordable they look great i'm wearing mine right now i highly recommend them it's humility chains on etsy so look up etsy and then search for humility chains and now on to your show We're back for another episode of That 90s Baseball Pod. I am your host, Brandon Warren, and you can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. And across the screen here, if you're watching on YouTube, is Mr. Greg Olson. You can find him on Twitter at G-R-E-G-G-O-L-S-O-N-30. Mr. Olson, how are we doing today? Good, Brandon. Good. Good to be back on. Got uh, one of my favorite uh, former teammates back with us. He uh competition for a little while with minnesota yeah we ended up uh, passing each other a bunch of times and finally got together in la in 2001 just uh just a couple of tigers on the call today if you haven't figured it out already it's former big league utility man jeff rebele coming to the program how's it going jeff Woo! i'm going good guys how's it going over there you guys doing all right doing good man great to have you on Fucking ball, man. I'm ready. Anytime. Awfully chilly here in Minnesota. It's 10 degrees right now. I'm guessing you guys are probably dealing with a little better weather right now. Yeah. Ohio's, uh, I'm in Dayton, Ohio area, and uh, it's always pretty good here in the fall and the spring. And we've had a light winter so far, but uh, it's starting to kick in a little bit, getting the 30s, maybe a little snow later today, but uh, not like Minnesota, man. That place can rock in the winter. So, just a couple of tigers, as we said. Uh, how did you guys, when you met each other, reconcile the fact that one of you was at LSU and one of you was Auburn? Because that's uh, that's no small deal. I don't know, Ellie. How you do it, man? You know what? I was uh, I liked Reb. Played played <laughs> well, and uh, he he was only there in '86 when I think LSU thumped me at their place. But um, you kind of get used to. Uh, the, the LSU Tiger guys roaming around the big leagues. There was enough of them. I had Ben McDonald for quite a while. And, and, uh, Ooh, that's a tough one there. Yeah. yeah. And he, he's, he's a lot more obnoxious about it than you were. Yeah. 
Yeah, we I'm, had pretty him on, quiet. I'm pretty yeah. easy going. So I'm a pretty decent teammate. I, the only guy I ever really got on was Bordick because he, uh, Mike <laughs> Bordick played uh, at Maine when I was at the World Series and he kept trying to, him and his teammates kept trying to go for third on triples and we kept chucking them out. So I had to give him crap for years after that. <laughs> we had Big Ben on a few weeks ago too, if people want to check that out in the archives or if even you, Jeff, want to check it out. But yeah. um, I, I have to admit and Oli will probably tell you that I'll, I'll throw a lot of stuff at you that maybe you haven't heard before or haven't heard in a long time. But I always had a lot of fun with my uncle who um, we always called him Jeff Rebelly because he looked exactly like you in like 1993. And so I had an uncle who looked like Jeff Rebelly and I had a cousin who looked like Rich Becker. If that tells you anything about how my childhood went, I viewed everyone through the lens of what Minnesota twin did they look like? So um, I'm sure that's not much of an honor for you, but I always thought it was really cool to have an uncle who could pass for Jeff Rebelay. Well, all I get out of that is you had an ugly family. So I don't, yeah, well, I don't about that. If, if the shoe fits, if people are watching on YouTube, they can, uh, they can see yeah, that. Man. Yeah, I, there was actually a guy that kept running into that kind of looked like me and people would always say, are you this guy? I'm like, yeah, no, 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 not that guy. I'm, you know, it's kind of crazy. Like in Ohio, not many people know you. When you're in the American League, nobody knows who you are here. They're Cincinnati Reds fans, right? So they never yep. they didn't even know Minnesota exists for years until interleague play. So I would be like, I'm the my mom was a dance teacher for like 50 years. So, you know, local, you know, tap ballet stuff. And so whenever I come back to Dayton, Ohio, I'm known as Miss Joy's son. So nobody oh, knows boy. you Miss Joy's son. I'm like, yeah, sure. So, you uh you must have some Albert Bell stories from LSU. Uh, you also play with Mark Guthrie, who was a future teammate with the Twins. Um, you know, a lot of things going on in LSU, but I got to I gotta ask you about Albert Bell. We've talked about him yeah. with, uh, with Big Ben as well. And also there was a, about a three-hour podcast about Albert Bell that I can share with people off air. But um, yeah, Albert Bell has a, a lot of fun stories. Yeah, he's uh, he was an interesting guy, man. Back in the day, you know, uh, Albert was uh, his twin brother, Terry, I'm sure you heard about was yep. at school and they were just fun loving guys, man. We had a great time. Um, I was uh, my junior year. I came into LSU. Um, Albert was a freshman and then, uh, and Terry, and then uh, my senior year, I was, uh, you know, they were, he was moving along his sophomore year. He's kind of, you know, doing really well. Um, myself and Rob Leary, a uh, catcher played in the organization for a long time. Uh, he's still in the, with the Diamondbacks doing stuff professionally. Um, he's roving. He's been a big league bench coach, everything, all the way through every organization. And um, we were both team captains, so we never really had a problem with uh, Albert. Uh, you know, there was one situation where I think the first game as a freshman, um, he came in and uh, he was going to play at Mississippi State, and that was not a place that Skip wanted to start him. Uh, obviously for obvious reasons. So he was kind of upset about yep. that, but we kind of like, that was the only real thing. And we just called him, listen, man, this is what you're doing today. And, you know, don't worry about it. So we never had any issues, I guess, the following year, 87, you know, the draft year, that was when everything kind of fell apart up there. Mm -hmm. So I really don't yep. know what happened. He was a great teammate. Uh, Otter, I don't know if you had him, but I had him in Baltimore and, uh, you know, capes to himself. And yeah, he didn't like the media too much, but other than that, man, he was, he was a good guy, man. I never had any problems. He trusted me, I think, because I knew him at a younger age. So, you know, myself and Mark Guthrie used to go see him. You know, I think we went to visit him when we were in Minnesota. He was coming in with the White Sox, maybe. Yeah, like uh, eight, 96, 97. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere earlier than that, maybe. So I don't know when he was with the, it was whoever. Maybe, maybe 95. The, yeah. We went in and he was we went to go see him at the hotel. He's playing video games, just hanging out like normal. So. Yeah, we didn't have any issues and always a good teammate. What a player, man. Smart guy, guy, too, right? Real smart yeah. guy. Yeah, accounting major. Him and his uh, brother were accounting majors. His mom and dad were teachers. Yeah. Um, yeah, things you don't know about guys, you know. Uh, but he was uh, definitely, you know, a beast player. Like, unbelievable. But we used to have a good time with him, man. He was, he was, he was all right. Well, you saw him as a freshman, too. So um, when you see a guy – at that stage of development, it's got to be, uh, you just kind of think about what this guy can become. And then all of a sudden, you know, he becomes one of the most devastating right-handed hitters. I mean, in an era where there were good right-handed hitters, Frank Thomas comes to mind immediately, but Albert Bell is in that conversation. And to see him at that age, I feel like I'd feel pretty fortunate to have gotten to see that. Um, what were your 
takeaways from uh, seeing him then versus in the big leagues? Yeah. Like you could see the raw power and, you know, he was is super athletic. There's stories about him. I'm sure Ben has some stories about him. They didn't get <laughs> along at some points, but, um, but they, you know, it was, it was, you know, you heard stories about him playing high school football. He's a quarterback in, fo- in football. And I heard he threw a pick in a, maybe it was a state game or playoff game or something. And he jogged backwards and let the guy run by him. Looked like he was just going to let the guy run by him. And then he just reached out, stole the ball and went the other way. So wow. like, you know, just athletically off the charts, little raw talent wise, I think, you know, Ole would say kind of like a Bo Jackson kind of situation in a way yeah. where just talented as all get out, just needed to figure it out baseball wise a little bit. And you could just see it like in the world series, we played uh, our last game, we played Miami and uh, he came up and this one of their closers. I don't know if it was Rayther or somebody came in was punching dudes out and he hit one about eight miles over the scoreboard and left. And you're just like, yeah, it's, yeah. Not surprising to us. So that's the kind of thing he was. And then later on in his career, you know, obviously he was such a perfectionist at that time. You know, he was just, if he didn't do hit the home run 800 feet, then he was disappointed in himself. Right. So that's, that's just the, you know, that was a, a fault of his, that he was just a perfectionist and didn't want to ever make an out. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's fair. I, I think there's still a Fernando Vina sized uh, hole in the <laughs> ground where he buried him. And so that's um, I was going to say, that's how Albert will be memorialized, but it might be how Fernando is memorialized even more. So. Uh, Rev, what year was that? You remember that? We went, I, I thought like, I don't know if most teams, but after, after, after Albert did that, I feel like in spring training, there was a new way of breaking up the double play. Obviously, when you, you never wanted to run into a tag at second base. So right. you know, prior to that, it was kind of a backpedaling and, and staying, you know, trying to stay in a rundown and, and not giving up the easy double play. And then after that, it really did seem like there was a conversation in spring trainings of, well, hey, this is legal you know, go ahead and do that. And you as a middle infielder, did you see a little bit more of that? I I think it was kind of old school all the way through. Like I grew up with that play. Um, I just wasn't a big enough dude to apply too much of that play <clears throat> in college. We would have done that where if they got you, you would try to, you know, knock the ball out. Um, but it, it kind of went from, as you've noticed, the game keeps changing, right? So the old school thing was, you know, hit dudes in the ribs and do whatever. And then it became, you know, never pitching in, you know, hardly ever pitching in. Um, This situation, I think the old school guys used to run you over because I can tell the story because we had, remember Don Baylor, obviously, as being a Twins guy. Yep. Legendary Don Baylor was the hitting, roving hitting guy for the Twins. In, uh, and I was in double A and the situation came up. He was just in town and I happened to have that play happen to me. And I never, I was always the guy that saw it early. You know, my thing about playing baseball was I had pretty good instincts, right? And for some reason, this dude was able to come up on me fast. I tried to bail out of the way, get down, whatever. And the, the guy tagged me and was able to turn the double play. And I was just completely disappointed in myself. And the next day we have a meeting and uh, Don Baylor you know, God rest his soul was in the in dugout and he was talking about the things that happened in the game. And just to kind of tell you how old school things were, he's like, well, Reb, you know, he knew he messed up as soon as he, you know, right after the play, I saw him, he knew he messed up. He should have knocked that guy in the left field. And I was thinking, no, I should have stopped and stayed in the rundown, you know? So I'm like, okay. So the other part of that story was uh, Sorrento, Paul Sorrento, if you remember, Paul was hitting and a dude came inside and he ducked out of the way and whatever. And, and, uh, and Baylor said, you know, Sorrento, he's got to take that one in the head. You know, he knows he should have gotten hit in the head. And, and we're all looking at each other. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to get in that. So that's the old school mentality of what happened. But I agree with you. It made people think about the play and how to do it. And honestly, the best route is probably to knock them out of the way so they can't turn the double play. Wow. That's just, it's so funny to, you know, you, you play on Twitter a little bit and something like that will happen. It's like, Oh, that's totally illegal. I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah. He's, he's in, he's in the baseline. He has the ball. Yeah. You can, you can make contact and keep him from making the throw to first base and and breaking up the double play. It's just, 
the world has changed in our in our game where it's you it's hard to say I, I hate to say this but you value the player on the other side a lot more than we did you didn't yes. want to hurt somebody never wanted to hurt anybody but now it's going to the point where we don't want to risk hurting somebody mm-hmm. you know so throwing inside you know running a guy over all that is kind of uh, yeah don't do that don't want to risk somebody getting hurt well i'll be honest with you Oli. i don't know that back in the day that some guys were worried about hurting the other guy i i was trying I, to be politically correct i know you were and I'm <laughs> going i don't i don't think that was it i can remember my rookie year in minnesota and you know playing in the old metrodome with the turf and you know it's a long distance you know out to the turf right so i get a double play ball i think i came in late for they probably pinch hit for gagney and I came in for defense and we're playing Boston and it's kind of the battle, you know, or for the, you know, playoffs, you know, it's, they won the world series in 91 and I'm here in 92 and, you know, some rookie coming over here playing utility. And uh, I caught a ball from uh, Chuck Knobloch and I clear the runner, you know, clearing the runner nowadays is going just side of the base. I literally was in the turf, like Ooh. out in the turf, like not on the dirt. You and Greenwell came in. I can't remember Greenwell's first name, but he was Mike. Mike, thank you. Came in and absolutely blew me up, blew up my knee. I was down. <laughs> I was like, I, I ain't never been attacked 15 feet from the base before. And uh, yeah, so that was a lesson for me. And, uh, you know, I was in a different space, but yeah, he had, I was, yeah, it was break up the double play, but his, his spike also hit me above the knee and the thigh. So, I you know, is it breaking up the double player? He tried to kill the guy. Yeah, I think he was trying to kill the guy. So well, he didn't succeed, and we're we're happy for that because uh, close. I kind of run through it, and we had to talk about uh, Pegley Rulo could have crushed me at home plate. Yeah, in um, I think ninety two or ninety three. Yeah, and the times that you get end up getting a throw coming up the line as as a pitcher, and you're almost thankful. I yeah. was thankful that Pegley Rulo did not crush me. I was thankful that the guys that were running behind me didn't take their spikes up the back of my calves. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Because it was in play. It was realistic. It was the way the game was. It, it might have been, you know, the, the spikes up the leg might have been a little bit dirty, but right. it's, it's the way it was. So you're, you're kind of thankful that you, you don't get crushed on, on a play. You yeah. know, it's just so fun. It's just so different to watch now where it's not even – thought of yeah it is a little different and you know obviously you take somebody up you know in that situation you're probably gonna fight you know the next guy's getting hit so it turns into an escalates obviously until things get figured out but you're right I mean there was a lot of situations where I, I remember in spring training uh I think it was uh, Mike Benjamin was a utility guy I can't remember who he's with he was with San Francisco or somebody and he turned a double play and he was I had to actually try to avoid him because I could have absolutely killed him in spring training and I and I kind of uh, didn't get to see him but I told his coach I'm like listen man you got to tell him get out of the way I could have killed him like he like he literally should have been blown out so you're kind of like you know password I need to give you a, hey thanks man I appreciate it you know but you're just kind of letting him know like during the season I'm gonna I'm gonna get you but you know it's spring training I'm not you know you gotta you know, it's not that important, but I'm not going to get hurt trying to get out of the way of you, which I about did. So, you know, those are those are things that are a little different these days. I think they play more of that style most of the time now. And th- with the rules and everything, you know, it's not necessarily the players. It's the rules like the rules have changed. You're not allowed to do those things. You have to slide straight into the base. You know, you slide straight in the base and pop off a quarter of an inch. And now you're out. Like, I can't tell you how many times guys would be out. Your guys are going to get hurt doing that. So you got to look at the rules and figure out what do you like about the game? What do you not like about the game? What makes the game work? And, you know, obviously those are changing a lot. Well, I tell you, if, right, uh, Gardner, what do you got? If, uh, if you could have killed a guy at five or sorry, six feet and a buck 60 or buck 70, Imagine what Kirby Puckett would have done to a guy like that, barreling in the way he ran. That, um, yeah, he was that, fast. That would not have been good. He was he was fast for his size. So I want to talk about. Okay, so you go in the the tenth round in in the draft to the Twins, and then your minor league career is kind of a story of perseverance. Um, 
I think you spent more time in Orlando than maybe Shaquille O'Neal did, which I'm not, I'm not saying that to make a joke. It just was, it was a story of perseverance. You, de- you debut in your late twenties and you still managed to hang around for well in excess of a decade. Um, what I want to ask as I'm circling the wagon here is what clicked for you in Portland in 92, because you had a really nice offensive season after a couple of years, you know, kind of struggling a bit, uh, you're taking your walks, you know, playing all over the place. Uh, what clicked that eventually got you to the big leagues after a strong season with, uh, with Orlando that year? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know that anything clicked. I think I was the same player. I always was. It was just, they just kept sending people past me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of this professional thing is you get into an organization and the twins were really good. They were awesome. They gave me an opportunity and did everything. Um, but the first two managers, I went, I got drafted in 86, <clears throat> I went straight from the world series to high a ball in Visalia, California. So I spent half a season there, you know, ended up taking that team to the playoffs, me and a couple of the draft picks turned that kind of team around a little bit. And, you know, they recognized that sent me right to double a the next year. So after a half season in high a, I go right to double a and I start doing my thing. Well, I was an all-star at the half at the break. Um, I got sprained my ankle. I didn't realize this twins took care of me. I didn't, I thought I was still an all-star. They evidently took me off the all-star team. So it would have been me and Walt Weiss as the shortstops in the, in the all-star game and ended up giving it to Jeff Houston because I got hurt. And I found out the twins actually bought me the watch that you get wow. for being a double A, but I didn't realize I was not a double A all-star. I never was listed as an all-star because I got hurt. I couldn't play in the game. I thought that was pretty cool so anyways just to kind of go through the process that year um i kind of was physically not strong enough to finish the year playing every day i would i would be 300 halfway through the year and then i would fall apart at the end of the year because it's 150 degrees in orlando you know raining every day at five in a sauna and i went from 180 pounds down to 155 pounds by the end of the year and it was just physically dawning for me so i don't think i changed a whole lot what happened to me was at the end of the year, I had a good year, but it didn't look as good at the end of the year. And my manager left, well, uh, George Mitterwald left. He went, switched or did organizations or something. So he was not there to fight for me in the winter. Then the next year, it was another guy, uh, Dwayne Gustafson. Same thing, really good first half, second half wasn't as good. You know, manager's not there to pull for me. So guys started coming through. Scott Leis came through. Some other guys came through. They kept sticking prospects in front of me, and I'm going – you know, I'm doing pretty well here. So at the end of the day, I think what happened was, you know, I kind of got stuck in the back burner there doing my defensive thing. Garden hire came in, saw that I could play a little bit, mm-hmm. kind of, I had a terrible year. I'm like, Guardy, I played terrible because you were awesome. And I'm like, I was awful. Like this was, you should have seen me the last two years, three years. Like I was really good. So I think having a manager fight for you a little bit and Guardy really stepped up for me. And then I would go up and down double A, triple A. So I wasn't really playing every day, kind of, you know, I was kind of like in and out. And then what happened was Leas made the big league team in 92 yep. uh, with Pagliarulo as a split uh, to, mm-hmm. or 91, excuse me. Uh, was it 92? It was 91. Ray, so I, Leas was on the 91 team. Yep. 91. So I got to go to AAA uh, and be the everyday shortstop. So that was really kind of the difference. I got to go there, play everyday AAA. It wasn't a million degrees, yeah. you know, and, you know, they pinch hit for me a lot, but, you know, <laughs> I, I made it through. Then and the next I, year I did it again and, you know, Scott, Scott Alger was my manager and, and uh, they needed a defensive guy. So I got my opportunity in, in another life or in, you know, if you had better luck in 1987, do you think there's a chance you helped that 87 team? Cause I mean, they bring guys up from double a quite often. You were already at an age where you would have been, you know, 23, you'd have been fine in the big leagues. I'm sure in a lot of respects, Um, do you think if things had broken differently, you could have been on that 87 team? Cause not only were you not on the 87 team, but you weren't on the 91 team either. You didn't debut until 92. Right. Uh, I probably would have been, that would have been interesting because just me going to triple a and getting a taste of that playoffs was interesting. Like I can't imagine stepping into a world series from that. You know what I mean? Like that just didn't, that didn't really happen a lot back then. Yeah. Uh, It does now. And part of the reason is, Guys, see guys in the biggest. I never, I never. Excuse me. I had never stepped foot in a big league locker room as a, as a big league invite. Other than 
a fence jumper, which is <clears throat> they call you up in spring training just to <laughs> yeah. play one game and send you back. So <clears throat> that would have been a huge jump for me. It was already just to play in the big leagues to get called up. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know those guys. I mean, I've seen, you know, a couple of guys here and there when I'd show up for a game. I knew Puckett because he went to my junior college. So we were kind of tight. Oh, sure. He took care of me a little bit. Um, and a couple other guys and just, you know, basically Scotty Erickson, Knobloch and the guys that I saw on the way by, Leis and all those guys that kind of shot. I, I stayed in double A. I was the mayor. So everybody had to come through and see me say hello yeah. and then run up to the big leagues. So that was kind of my thing. Those guys I kind of knew, but the older guys, it was a veteran team in 92. Yep. You know, a lot of veteran guys that I really didn't know. And yeah. you know, they're awesome dudes. You know, Ken Herbeck in the world are awesome. Yep. But, you know, just guys I didn't know at the time. The reason I asked, too, is because in that era, they didn't ask much offensively from their utility guys. And so, like, Al Newman hung around for a long time and didn't yeah. really provide much with the bat, you know, with what you were capable of getting on base and playing defense. Uh, you know, and again, you're going to know yourself better. I'm just I'm just looking at it from a statistical thousand miles whatever standpoint or ten thousand feet standpoint um you know just a, just a what if because yeah you, know, you no, did no, end up- I, I, I know where you're going with that and yeah, yeah and al newman was a great player al is a super guy mm-hmm. and was a just a good solid player and al was you know pretty talented you know like he had you know but hitting wise yeah it was maybe a struggle for him but you know defensively and in the clubhouse great dude you know like he got along with everybody and you know he as a utility guy, you can't just be a bump on a log, man. You got to be a good teammate, man. So, yep. you know, and he was that. And he ended up moving on and made some money and, and left. And I think Tom Kelly appreciated my defense. Obviously, that's what kept me around in the minor leagues for so long. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I think, yeah, I, I do. I think that was that would have been my thing. Sure. I'm not going to come up and get big hits for you. But then again, I'm not sure that, you know, that was what our design was as utility guys back then step up and get big hits nowadays utility guys you know can hit 30 homers you know so they get paid to do those things now especially um, if if they're marwin gonzalez or ben zobrist you know yes yes do different and, things and my thing was you can put me anywhere in the infield and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm not gonna there's not gonna be a drop off from your starter like i can play defense i felt like with anybody so that was kind of the thing so when you have that that's kind of a luxury for a manager mm-hmm. because they don't have to worry about who they pinch you, whatever, and, and where you're going to put you because you know, they're no, that's not a liability for the next two innings or inning or so when they so, do that. So you have to have a pretty good going to the big league story, don't you? Um, yeah. You know, I, I guess uh, my thing was I was an old dude. So, you know, it was, I went to, what happened was my story real quick was we're in Portland flying to Edmonton and it's earlier season Mayish, but that's early for Canada. Oh, yeah. It's ice snowing on the runway as we're landing and Chip Hale is kind of like my roommate, whatever. And he's, you know, we were big league roommates when you had big league roommates too, but uh, he was kind of my buddy. And he was, if anybody knows Chip, he's super energetic. Like it almost looks fake to everybody. Like, Oh, that, that can't be real. That's Chip. Like he's, super positive about stuff so he's like we're playing today we're gonna play today and we're all going like it's an inch of snow like we're not playing today and he's like oh we're playing we're gonna play watch you watch we're gonna play all right chip we're gonna play so we get back get off the plane whatever go back to the rooms we're no we're not playing we're hanging out whatever we're gonna have lunch whatever and i get a call and uh, you know back then we were taking drug tests and scotty alger calls me in and he goes come up to my room um so i come up to the room and he goes hey uh we got a problem. And I'm like, okay, what's the problem? Like, we're not playing today. Are you, is this a joke about chip? We're going to tell him we're playing, you know? And he's like, no, it's not a joke about chip. <laughs> I'm like, okay. He goes, you, you failed your drug test. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, what failed my drug test? I didn't, I, there's no way. And he goes, he goes, you failed your drug test, man. You're, and I'm like, there's no way I'll pee in a cup right now. I'll pee in a cup. Right. He goes, <laughs> he goes, and he starts laughing. He goes, no, man, you're going to the big leagues. And I'm like, what? So I'm trying to process all this. Like I'm going from frantic, like I got to pee, you know, like what's going on to I'm going to the big leagues, which is another thing you're going, what? I'm in Edmonton, Canada. It's snowing. I'm going to the big leagues tomorrow. So that was kind of my story. And, uh, you know, I laugh about it now, but it wasn't very funny at first. You know, kind of, <laughs> you know? So then I had to take the flight from Edmonton the next day to the Metrodome 
and uh, they were playing Boston at the time. It was kind of a big deal. So, yeah. you know, stepped right in and, uh, and I had a horrible first at bat. And uh, that was also horrifying yet funny yeah. later on. And, you know, those are the kind of things that happen and you're, you're, you're just like nervous as a house cat, you know, with dogs all around. So that's um, the way it goes. What was the yeah. first at bat? Yeah, we got to hear that story. Oh, yeah. So that was, uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember Bolton's first name. Lefty reliever had a huge curveball. Tom? I don't remember. Uh, we're, we're, yeah, Anyways, Tom Bolton, 80, 87 to 94. That's right. Yeah. So I come up to bat. I pinch hit for uh, Randy Bush, who's who's funny. Randy's up there, and he's got to face this lefty that he's never no going to face. And, no and Tom Kelly goes, go hit for him. And so I walk up there, and he's going, what? Like, are you sure? You know? And <laughs> TK's like, yes, come on. So he sends me up there, and I got Tony Pena catching. Tom Bolton on the mound, playing the Red Sox. We're winning huge, obviously, or whatever, I think. We're winning pretty big. So they're going to let me hit for the DH. So I'm going to get my at-bat. I get up there, and then all I can remember in my head is they throw rookies fastballs. And I am a fastball-hitting machine. Like, I love fastballs. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Uh, he throws me, I think, a first-pitch curveball. And uh, – and, I swung. I don't think it was out of his hand yet. It was like halfway to the mound, halfway to the plate, and I swung. <laughs> oh man! And it was a strike, but I had swung. I'm telling you, I swung. It could have turned around, set myself, and swung again. And uh, I'm like, oh my god! So Tony Pena catches it, and I'm like, okay. Next pitch. I don't know why they throw me a fastball up, and I foul it back. I can smell the wood burning. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I feel a little better. And then they throw me another curveball, and of course, what are they going to do, Ollie? They're going to bounce it, right? Oh, yeah. They're not going to let you do that, right? The, the guy just swung it one halfway to the home plate, so they throw it on it bounces five feet in front of home plate, and I swung at it again. Of course, early swung at it, it bounces. It's so bad, Pena can't block it, right? It goes over Pena's head to the backstop. So I run to first base. I punch out. I get the first base. And if you guys, if you remember Wayne Terwilliger at all, mm-hmm. now this is the most, the one of the most awesome coaches. I don't even know how old Wayne he was. 150 at the time, but he used to get out there and turn to old plays with us. He was such a positive guy, you know, just a great dude. I get to first base. I don't know Wayne. Met Wayne once today, yeah. you know. Um, oh, by the way, I've got my double ear flap helmet on because I never had one <laughs> spring training. Yep. Never got a, a single flap. So I got my double ear flap helmet on. Chip Hale style. Yeah, they got in trouble for that, by the way. So uh, so I make it the first, and Wayne goes, Reb. He goes, that's awesome. And I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, I just embarrassed myself in front of 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he goes, no, no, no. He goes, you don't get it. He goes, he goes anybody can get a hit in their major league debut. They can even hit a home run. He goes, I guarantee you in the history of baseball, nobody's ever done that. <laughs> Made it to first on a strike three. And I'm like, huh, okay. Well, that's good. I got that going for me. Here's another record I think you might hold. Um, most at-bats in a game that you entered as a pinch runner. Because this game, um, I actually talked to TK about this, and he had the most ridiculous memory of it. Uh, except he thought it was a day game, and I'm I'm positive it wasn't. Uh, you guys played 22 innings before uh, Pedro Munoz hit a walk-off home run before we called him walk-off home runs over the baggie. And I remember watching the replay on MSC the next day back Midwest Sports Channel before they rebranded to Fox. And my mom said to me, she's like, boy, I'm glad I didn't tell you guys you could stay up and watch that one last night because I think it got done about 1.30 in the morning. But um, you had five at bats in a game that you entered as a pinch runner. What's it like to play 22 innings and how relieved are you when Munoz sneaks that ball over the, the baggie and right, and you guys finally get to go home? Well, I, I lost you a little bit, so I lost it, but I will tell you this during that. So Tom Kelly, as you know, was not a home run guy. Like mm-hmm. he was, if you're swinging for homers, he's upset. Like use the opposite field up the middle. That was the twins way, you know, earn your hits, be a good hitter. They occasionally pop one out. And uh, so when we got to extra innings, 
you know, he calls it thunder. You know, whenever guys in batting practice start hitting home runs, he's going, he starts screaming thunder, thunder, <laughs> you know? So, you know, we've had to have this special talk in Boston about, you know, how we could piss over that wall and left. Like let's use our whole field. Let's take good swings, you know, in batting practice. So of course, nobody would listen and try and hit it over the wall. But at the end of the day, this in this game that you're talking about, everyone went up there trying to hit a home run to end the game. Mm-hmm. And he's out of his mind. I'm sure he remembers this because he was he was so pissed. Yeah. And we're all just sitting there going, you know, we're I, 22 innings. That sounds about right. Yep. I don't know if it's a day game or night game. If it was a day game, it turned into a night game <laughs> we were forever. Six and hours. It was unbelievable. So we're playing and we're all, and it was like, it wasn't even a chance to score. Like yeah. there was yeah. nothing going on in the game. There was, I don't even know if the guy got a base in those extra innings. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Played a whole so extra finally, game. finally we get up there and of course Pedro hits a home run and everybody's like, nah, see, there it was, you know, we could have could have done that, you know, nine innings ago, 20 yeah. innings ago, whatever. Yeah. And uh, the reality was Tom Kelly remembers that game. Cause he was, that was so against his religion, like so pissed. And that was just frustrating for him. And we were kind of like, okay, well, somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to score running out of pitching, but I don't even think, I don't even think position players played pitcher in that game. I think, no. we were, I think it was no, all wow. pitchers. Willie yeah. Banks, Larry Cassian, Carl Willis, Aguilera, Mike Hartley, George Samus, and Brett Merriman. I think Merriman was a rookie and ended up going eventually to Colorado or came from Colorado, but um, all pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as Ole knows, as soon as that game happens, Ole, what happens right after that? With the pitchers, they all get sent out because they're tired, whatever, oh, you know, so they send, yeah, them, they send them down. Anybody's got options going down because they need guys that can pitch. Whole, the next three or four whole, days whole new wave of guys coming from uh yeah. probably salt lake at that point right it's like a hockey line shift it's here they come over the boards you come back you know and that's what happens today's game they're doing that yeah. all the time now so yeah well, you're hoping your starter goes seven eight keep it uh keep it interesting that, yeah, that's what i thought was the next day was going to be a two inning start a or, you know, something less than a five and dive which would have been a disaster besides uh, some, somebody's taking a beating yep. to, to get yeah. that to get the yeah. bullpen back on track. Hey, um, I want to find out who told you that rookies always see fastballs when they come up to the big league. I don't, uh, I think it was a, a old guy, <clears throat> local guy of mine uh, was Fred Sherman. He was back in the seventies. He was a reliever and everything else back in the day. He was up for fireman of the year and he's a local guy. And, and he's like, yeah, they'll challenge you. You know, you always challenge the young guys. And this is an older school guy. Right. But he also told me, like after you hit a home run, after the guy in front of you hits a home run, don't don't swing at the next pitch. <laughs> so that was always in my head too. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, somebody just hit a home run. I'm going up there to hit. Like, you know, if I take a big hack here, I'm going to take the next one in the ear. So I often took the, you know, I was kind of let the count go, anyways. But those yeah. are some of the unwritten things that I kind of, you know, heard about. Yeah. But you know, so was that, it? It wasn't a rib. It was he wasn't ribbing you. He he was giving you legit in. No, he was legit intel back okay. in the day. Oh but, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I'm I'm hooking away. I got you hadn't you hadn't you know. I'm sorry. You hadn't you hadn't seen it before. Here's a couple of them. Yeah. You know, and if you're not gonna look good on the first one, it's just gonna get worse. I would have but, felt better facing you because at least I had seen you in my life at some point. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tom Bolt, I didn't even know what he had, and uh, yeah, that wasn't uh, that wouldn't have mattered because I was swinging no matter what, and uh, you know, as you know. I mean, I didn't, I didn't swing a lot. So for me to go up there and just start hacking at everything I saw, clearly I was not in my right mind, which we, happens. we, so we got Wayne Terwilliger's reaction. I need to know what TK said, or if he said anything to you. And it, then dovetailing from that, your best TK story, because I heard him telling mm-hmm. a story one time about uh, Wayne Hathaway, big fella. And I'm sure you got a big fella story too. But um, they were on a bus that caught fire and big fellow was screaming and screeching yep. and wouldn't get off the bus. But uh, I got to know, TK was not great to rookies. Uh, last week, we told a Brent Brady story. Uh, Greg did, not me, obviously. But uh, yeah, how did he react to that first plate appearance for you? Uh And, uh, you know, you could talk to all his kids and his dog racing 
and that was pretty much about it. The rest of it was not conversational. Yeah. And uh, luckily, uh, you know, I, w- myself and Chip Hill used to pick his brain all the time on certain situations and games, you know, before the next game, you know, we talk about situations. So that was pretty cool. But in that story, I, you know, TK, you know, he's got, you know, a m- mind like a steel trap. So he would like, he remembered this stuff from way back. Obviously he knows all the stories, but in that particular story, I came around and scored somehow I scored and I came in and then, you know, the doors from the twins in the old Metrodome used to just go up the little tunnel there towards the the stairs Mm -hmm. and kind of like, you know, go back in there for a second. So I went back in there to like, just like gather myself for a second. Like that was awful. And I'm kind of like, what the, so TK comes walking back and he thought I was running up the steps. Like I was done for the day because I was the DH. Well, that never crossed my mind. That's never happened to me. Like why, you know, he's used to big league guys, maybe thinking they're going to take it in. And he's like, no, Hey, you're still in the game. No, you're my DH. And I'm like, yeah, like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And he just kind of laughed, you know, a little bit like, you know, and I'm like, Oh man. And he just kind of turned around and came back. I'm like, yeah, I know. So that was pretty much it. He was just like, you're still in the game. And I'm going, yeah. I like, why would I leave? But then I realized, some big league guys used to take it on in when they were done. That never occurred to me. I'm my wow. guy. Wow. Yeah. What about yeah. what about uh, Kirby Puckett stories? Because obviously playing with Kirby Puckett for as long as you did. Yeah, we um, got we got you for about five more minutes. So. Right. So we yeah. got to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. So Puck Puck was my guy. He took care of me a long time. Um, you know, he was. Uh, I've met him. You know, at Triton. He was. Yep. He went to Triton where I went to school, and and. Uh, was just an awesome player. So he was, uh, I mean, there's so many, you know, Hank, the bank, you know, he was always Hank, the bank, you need to check cash. You pull out his money, you know, I'll cash it for you, kid. You know, he takes like 30%. But his thing was, uh, you know, puck saved my career one time. Um, Terry Crowley was unbelievable hitting coach. Great guy. When I was younger, he had a guy named Scotty Fletcher used to take like a huge bat and choke up halfway and shoot everything through the hole. And they kind of had an experiment going with me that they wanted me to do that. And I, you know, whatever. And Puck came to me and I was playing terrible and they were jamming me and it was just awful. And I'm going to get sent out. And Puck knows that. He knows everything that's going on in the field. And I'm wearing Detroit. And he goes, before that game, we're taking batting practice. He goes, Rev, he goes, listen, he goes, there's times in this game when you got to do what's right for you. You got here in the big leagues because you can hit. He goes, you got here because you can play. And he goes, and sometimes they're going to tell you to do certain things, whatever. You got to do what's 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 best for you. You got here because you're a good player and you will be a good player. So you got to do what you got to do, you know. And I'm like, OK, I didn't really know what he meant. Well, halfway through that game, this experiment's been going on for like 10 days and I'm batting 040. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at some point, TK goes to me. I think we were in Cleveland, actually, because my family was there. And he's like, TK comes in and he's like, listen, he goes, I don't care what, because he knows I'm getting ready to get sent out too, I think, because he was pulling for me. And he goes, I don't care what bat you pull out. He goes, this thing's not working. You either hit it, you're you're hitting fly balls. He's like, you got to shoot it over there or you get another bat. I don't care. Just start getting some hits. He goes, you're embarrassing your family, your friends. (laughs) He goes, yourself. He goes, so start getting hits. I don't care what you do. So either take this bat or get another bat. So I look at him. I look at Terry Crowley and I kind of, the pucket thing was going through my head. So I went and grabbed one of Scotty Leas's T-141s. Mm-hmm. Pulled it out. It was more like my bat. Yep. Pulled it out. Started hitting. And been in the big leagues ever since. Oh, so man. I owe Puck, you know, not just for taking care of me, whatever, but, you know, that advice at that time <laughs> was what kept me around for the next, you know, 11 years. I, uh, I, uh, I have a, I have a friendship with Scotty Leas from living in the twin cities here. He still lives here actually. But um, I, I wanted to ask you before we let you go, you were kind of from a golden era of twins utility players, you know, coming out of Newman, but you go into you and Chip Hale and um, Denny Hawking, especially. Yeah. yeah. Denny Hawking. And then going to, you know, what eventually became Nick Punto and all that. Yes. Did you guys have any kind of like kinship, from a sense like we're just all in this together or what was it like not really um you know Denny was just a young kid coming up and you know my thing was a utility guy and I did this you know all the way through my career playing for all the different teams I played with 
Um, I would help guys. And that's the way I came up in my era was, was I will help you learn the game. I will teach you what I know. And if you take my spot, you take my spot. But I feel like I'm a good enough player that I'm going to just go to the next spot. If you become really good and play here, I'm going to go somewhere else and I'll play there. You know, so it was kind of like I was more of a mentor for guys and I was not afraid to tell them how to take my position. So for me, the, the kinship was you're never really having that many utility guys together in the same spot. You're kind of fighting yeah. for spots. Young guys are just trying to take your job. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't look at it that way. I looked like, hey, they're trying to get to the big leagues. I'm going to teach them how to get to the big leagues, whether it's here or somewhere else. It's going to help them down the road. And uh, those are the kind of things that you do as a player. Uh, I did that with Alex Cora when we were in in, in L.A. together. Yep. yep. The next year, he gets sent out. They bring in Cesar Torres, and Alex is going to become the left-handed utility guy and the right-handed utility guy. So I had to teach him, like, listen, Alex, this is how you play second base. This is how you got to do it. This is what you got to do. Be ready to play because he's just being an everyday player. So those are the kind of things that go on. And then I eventually move on and only had a couple more years left in the big leagues anyway. So you move on and do your thing. Um, But as far as utility guys, it's not like pitchers that hang out together or whatever. Utility guys are kind of the float guy that hangs out with the pitchers. They hang out with the infielders. They hang out with, you know, the relievers. They hang out with the the bullpen catchers. They hang out with the clubhouse guys. They hang out with the trainers. They hang out with everybody because they're everywhere. So I had more of a team thing going with me mm-hmm. and uh and i was there to help young guys and that was kind of why i think uh you see a lot of good utility guys in minnesota because they they were fundamentally sound and they played the game right uh, and that's what you got to teach them if you have time for one more i'd like to ask you a sure. quick one um, I got a couple more do you do you ever think about how your career might have been different you know you ended in the national league but if you had started in the national league where um, there was more value in late inning defense, pinch hitting for the pitcher, so on and so forth. Yeah. How do you think things are different? I mean, you had a nice long career, and so maybe you don't have any second thoughts of how it could have gone even after debuting late. But how would it have been different to start in the National League? Well, it would have been different. But the one thing that was huge for me was the fact that Tom Kelly was my manager. Mm-hmm. With Tom Kelly being the manager, he played his utility guys. So they were ready to play. So I got in two or three games in a three or in a three game series. Yep. Like I was in the games. I started one. I started almost every Sunday day game. Mm-hmm. I would find a spot on the field to play with match up certain lefties. I got, you know, a lot of hard throwers because I like to hit fastballs. Yep. I'd give the starter a day off. That's how he managed his team. It's kind of coming back that way a little bit, but the guys, he kept us involved. So that was awesome for me because mm-hmm. You know, there was a point where I was thought I was traded to the Yankees. Um, as a matter of fact, Terry Crowley came to the game the next day. He goes, what are you doing here? And I'm like, uh, what do you mean? What am I doing here? He goes, well, you got traded to the Yankees last night. And I'm like, uh, nobody told me. So we show up, whatever. And I and I didn't really want to go to the Yankees at the time because at that time, now, you know, Luis Soho, they end up going out and getting Soho instead. And I confirmed the story with uh, with the GM at the time. Later on, I saw him in Cuba. And he's like, yeah, we I traded for you, but somebody got hurt and whatever. And Denny Hawking wasn't available to finish the year. So they're like, we're going to keep Reb. So at any point with that going on, Luis Soho got like one at bat every month and a half. And that's, I can't do, I couldn't do that. Like that was, that's something I couldn't do in the national league. They keep you active, but you're still, you know, you're a little more active, but you don't start as many games. You're kind of getting in, you know, so the way TK did it was the way I would do it as a manager was I would keep everybody playing enough that I know if I put him up there, you know, I'm going to need him in this game. So three games before that, I'm going to make sure he gets in, yep. you know, rest my guys for a big series or whatever. And that's kind of how it was. So I, I couldn't have done it any better with the twins. Mm-hmm. Now, with National League, if you're in another if I would have been with the Yankees and done it like that, you're, you have your, your shelf life is not very long. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you'd rather be in the National League. Sure. All right. Well, Oli, that's all I got. Anything to parting shots? Oh, brother, I appreciate it. I was going de- to delve into your Orioles time with uh, Ripken and, and, uh, well, you know, those stories, there. man, you got some of those. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm, but they're just, you know, always good. And, and, uh, but appreciate your time. Know you're busy and, and, uh, love having you on, you know, for, I kind of look at it and everybody, you, you look at guys that, that, you know, you got five, six teams in, I think, and uh, you look at it and 
I always looked at it like you're, you're a good clubhouse guy. You're a good teammate. You, you do things well. And that's why you keep moving, you know, keep moving around. You don't necessarily need to stay in the same spot and play for 20 years. If you can, it'd be great. But um, I always looked at it like, you know, we got to play together in 2001. You were a great teammate and, and uh, pleasure to be around. You knew your, you knew your job. You knew what you were supposed to do. You took care of, you were a professional. And uh, so I people were like, oh, dude, you played on 10 teams. I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of went to this place and then, wanted money and then next place you go to the next place and you help the kids out and you do what you can do and then you move on and, and uh, it was a fun ride but enjoy your that. your deal in the bullpen was a mentorship as well you know that that's that's kind of a hey you got to know your roles but you got to teach guys what they're supposed to do how to be professional and everything you do with that and and only I kind of look at it a little differently I look at it as I spent my first what uh, nine years in uh in the american league and i every year it was like i started with the twins for five went to orioles for three got traded to kansas city for a year and i had run my course in the american league they'd seen me it's <laughs> like okay let's go to that other league and then that other league was a little smarter i got two years with the dodgers and one year with pittsburgh <laughs> i was out of years man i had to go overseas to go play i think at that point so you know, you run out of you run out of juice, you run out of ammo. And, uh, you know, I was 39 years old when I was done. But I will tell you yeah. that when you, you talk with guys like yourself and you've been around long enough, there's a reason you're around. And so people always say, well, you, you have to play the big leagues. Yeah, it's pretty cool to play in the big leagues. Play a long time in the big leagues is not easy to do. You have to be a good dude. You have to produce at a high level and you have to be a guy that's not disruptive unless you're just an absolute superstar, but uh, we, yeah. we obviously weren't that. So I appreciate you too, man. We, we had some good times together for sure. And I'll, I'll come on anytime and we can go back on again and discuss right. the old stuff next we'll time. We'll take you up want. on that. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks, Oli. Happy holidays. You too, guys. See ya. All right. All thanks. Right. Thanks for going into overtime with us. He is Jeff Rebelly. You can follow him on Twitter at JReb36. For my co-host, Greg Olson, this is Brandon Warren signing off saying thank you so much for checking out that 90s baseball pod powered by Access Twins. We'll catch you next week.